0: Okay, well, let's take our Bibles this morning and go to Matthew chapter number 27. Matthew chapter number 27. And we'll continue in our series through the gospel of Matthew. Do a little bit of review as we get into it here this morning. Where our series is entitled Jesus is King. Had aspirations of finishing Matthew before the end of the year and got real close. But don't want to rush it. This is, these are... Two um, important, uh, pivotal passages for us to just run through. So I want to take our time and, and actually providentially uh, works out because our theme for next year comes out of chapter 28. So it's just, it's just right. We'll start in January with chapter 28. Take a, a few weeks here, of course, to celebrate and preach on the fact of our Lord's coming, His first coming to the earth. Um, and uh, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. What an important doctrine that that is. Um, and so, but today, this morning at least, preaching on uh, his death, his burial, and then next Sunday, God willing, his resurrection, you say, shouldn't you be preaching on Christmas themes? Sure, yes, but if he didn't die for our sins and if he didn't rise again, then really we wouldn't have much to preach about his first coming. So this will give good context. So. I don't feel funny at all about doing that. Um, So uh, let's look at it now in chapter 27. And towards the end of the chapter, verse number 57. So chapter 27 and verse number 57. This is after Jesus has given up the ghost as he died on the cross. They did not take his life. He gave it for you and for me, dying as our substitute. And so then it tells us what happens afterwards. In verse number 57 says, when the even was come, there came a man, I'm sorry, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, who also himself was Jesus' disciple. Now this is our first introduction to Joseph of Arimathea. So we might say that he has been a secret disciple and that he has. All right, verse number 58. He went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And when Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth. And laid it in his, notice this, in his own new tomb. The one that Joseph owned. It was a brand new tomb. Which, the verse number six he goes on to describe, which he had hewn out in a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. Okay, so we have that scene taking place where Jesus was buried in the garden tomb. John tells us that there was a a garden in that area near the cross and the tomb was was located there. Okay, so now the scene is different in verse 62. Now the next day, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priest and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said, they wouldn't even say his name. We remember that that deceiver said, While he was yet alive, after three days, I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until until the third day, lest, here's their concern, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead. Here was their thought behind that. So that the last error shall be worse than the first. In other words, basically what they're saying is this last thing we need around here is a rumor of a resurrection. Last thing we need at this point is a rumor of a resurrection. A hoax. A hoax. They didn't believe he would rise again. They were concerned that his disciples might make it look like he did. I love Pilate's response in verse 65. He he was about done with them anyways. He said unto them, you have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. (laughs) Make it as sure as you can. Yeah. Verse 66. So they went and made the sepulchre shore, sealing the stone, that's significant, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And so this morning, for our consideration out of this text, I'd like to preach to you the proving effect, the proving, the proving effect of the effort, their effort, to disprove Jesus. The proving effect. Their plan really backfired on them. And it rather proved the resurrection. So that's the reason I'm calling it the proving effect of their effort to disprove what Jesus said. And so I'm giving it this subtitle just to give us a little bit of direction up front because I know that's a little bit of a confusing title. Maybe, maybe it's not, maybe you got it. But here's the subtitle. Suppressing the truth doesn't change it. Suppressing the truth does not change it. So may God help us right here. As you're seated, let's consider this very important text on the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't think I've ever preached a message on just the burial, the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been discussing events leading up to and during the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you've been with us and you've been on that journey, uh, I realize that there are guests here that that are just coming in and maybe some of you would be very familiar, maybe others would not. Uh, There might be some questions as I've already tried to address and just some introductory comments You know, I realize this is December and I realize that our minds are already on the Christmas season. We really try to pace ourselves in terms of uh, the Christmas songs. I love all of them and they have great theological content, you know. And so anyways, we start singing a good measure of them, but kind of intermingling uh, a little bit leading up to. But I was reminded of this as I thought about Jesus' trial before Pilate. And Pilate is interrogating Jesus and wanting him to speak, and, and Jesus said this. He said this before Pilate, "To this end was I born." So at the time of his crucifixion, Jesus himself, Jesus himself, went all the way back to when he was born. So Jesus, obviously knew that his birth was connected to his death. And the purpose of his birth, I mean, this is perfect. What the, what the uh, uh, two ladies sang a moment ago, uh, isn't this why he came? And then Brother Ted sang a, a great song. Uh, uh, That's, uh, uh, what'd you sing? He came to me, yeah, he came to me. Yeah. <laughs> came to me. <laughs> great song, Squire Parsons song. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Ted. <laughs> he sang, he came to me. And Jesus said, <laughs> basically, I'm telling you, Pilate, this is why I came. Okay. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I, there it is, came I into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. And Pilate, interestingly, he said this, what is truth? What is truth? Now, we don't have time to deal with all of that, but but truth certainly does matter. And certainly this morning, what we're thinking about and considering together from this text is why Jesus came. He came to us. When we could not come to where he was, he came to us. This is a faithful saying. Um, Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world To save sinners, Paul said, of whom, I am chief. Paul said, I was the worst sinner. Maybe there's somebody here today that says, man, I'm the worst sinner here in this auditorium. You know, if Paul was here, the apostle Paul who wrote 13 books of the New Testament said, "Um, I'm the worst. So if you feel that way, hey, listen, Paul, Paul says he he was the worst and yet he came to save sinners just like Paul, just like you. He came to save sinners. And so we considered last week the magnitude of what happened when Jesus died on the cross. The most pivotal time in human history was what happened on those six hours on the cross. Now that... That depends on what happens afterwards, I understand that, because maybe like you, uh, I read this morning in, in my devotions out of 1 Corinthians 15, that's our Bible reading plan. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes the point that if he has not been resurrected from the dead, then our faith is in vain. We're here wasting our time. But if he is risen from the dead, in fact, I think, and no, based on the word of God, we can say not just if, but since he is risen from the dead, then our faith is not in vain. And so uh, what happened though on the cross is of great, great and monumental impact. In fact, it was so monumental that it was accompanied by three hours of darkness on the earth from noon until three in the afternoon. Do you remember that from last week? For three hours, the earth, the sun refused to shine. Something, something important and significant must be taking place on the hill called Golgotha if the sun stops shining. And if the veil tore from the top to the bottom, the veil that separated the holy place from the most holy, if it tore from the top to the bottom, friends, something is going on. And if the ark shook with an earthquake at the moment that he died, then listen, something is taking place. If it is underscored by all those climactic events. In fact, we had a guest last week that was here and 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 he was talking about, you know, how that how the preaching got his attention and I said, you know, I hope that it did because really where we are in our Bible, and I was just trying to explain, where we are in our Bible right here is the most pivotal part of the bible everything up to this point has been leading to jesus death on the cross and everything that comes afterward. so i'm showing him you know just the the way the bible is set up everything that comes afterward really is based on what happened to jesus when he was on the cross and he dying for our sins and so here's what the guest said he said this so that's like the climax of the bible i said that's it It's the climax. I wanted to get everybody back in here and use that word. It's the climax. Everything is flowing up to that. Everything is flowing out of that. Because of who he is and what he did, dear friend, we are on some very important ground. And so then I'm thinking about, you know, getting ready to preach to you this Sunday morning and, and just wanting to make sure that I'm preaching right. And of course, I've got the cantata on my mind and got Christmas on my mind and so forth, like, like many of you do, no doubt. And I thought, should we preach on the tomb? Should we preach on the burial of, of the Lord Jesus Christ? And, and I enjoyed on t- Thursday in chapel, the, uh, a quartet that sang the borrowed tomb. It's like God was just saying to me, preach it. (laughs) It's what you ought to preach. And they sang these words. Jesus said that he would die and rise up in three days. He didn't need a monument to mark his resting place. When Calvary's crucifixion hours at last were finally through, they put his broken body in somebody else's tomb. You know why? Because he didn't need it for long that old grave made of stone. For it only took three days and Jesus walked out all alone. I'm tempted to sing it. Arising victorious like he said he would do. And that is why our Savior only borrowed the tomb. Amen. Hey, if you borrow something, it's not yours. You're supposed to take it back hey, if you borrow something, you're not only gonna use it for a little while, he only used this tomb that we read of for three days and three nights. Yet how pivotal. And then I was driving, literally driving. I'm just giving you a little bit more background maybe than what you need, but I was driving here uh, on my way to church to get ready for study and preparation. And and Adrian Rogers was preaching out of 1 Corinthians 15 and verse three and four. And he talked about the death and the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said this, the Lord was put on trial and they concluded that he was a fraud. And yet the higher court overruled their ruling. (laughs) By the resurrection and show that he is indeed the son of God. Man, I got stirred. I thought, all right, I'm preaching that. It's yeah. awesome. Why is the burial so important? And, and, and here's what I'd like us to think about. Why did the chief priests and the, and the Pharisees, many of them Sadducees, Pharisees, they don't usually get together. But they did when it came to getting against Jesus. Okay, why, hang on just a minute, why did they break the Passover Sabbath, which they did? I mean, they'd been so careful up to this point. They'd been so careful up to this point to make sure that they did not defile themselves before Passover. And so what they did is they would not go into the praetorium where Pilate was he had to come out and talk to them so they would not defile themselves while they were getting ready to crucify their Messiah. Does anybody get the, get the irony of that? Or did I just slide that right by you? Here they are crucifying their Messiah, but they're concerned about not breaking the Passover or Sabbath. And yet here on the day after the preparation, so the day of the preparation was very significant, they're getting ready for the Passover. In fact, it's so important that this thing kind of get to going. What thing are you talking about getting to going? I'm talking about the crucifixion scene. They had to get him down so that then he could be buried and and, and off the cross before the Sabbath came. So they were all about not defiling themselves, not breaking the Sabbath, but something crossed their mind so much that they threw all that out the window and the one that they had accused of breaking the Sabbath because he'd healed on the Sabbath day. Now, here are these hypocrites that were going into the praetorium to talk to Pilate, defiling themselves. I'm telling you, for Pharisees to do this was a big deal. Something, Something must really be weighing heavy on them for them to go before a Gentile, defile themselves at the time of the Passover Sabbath. This must be a pressing issue for a Pharisee to go before a Gentile and say, hey, we need you to do something here. So there must be something significant about the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there must be something significant about what they did and what their scheme, what their plot was. So let's think about it. Why were they so intent on making sure that there was no hoax about this? And it's ironic to me That their efforts to keep a hoax from happening turned into historical evidence that he is indeed alive. Explain what I mean in just a minute. First, Joseph of Arimathea. We're introduced to him in verses 57 through 61. He's He's a rich man. He's actually probably one of the Sanhedrin, along with Nicodemus. But other passages like Matthew and Mark, or sorry, Mark and Luke and John, they tell us more about this man, Joseph of Arimathea. He was a rich individual. Um, he he was an honorable counselor. The Bible says he waited for the kingdom of God. He was a good man. He was a just man. The Bible tells us. I'm just giving you a little bit of background here. In, in Luke 23, he consented not to the death of Jesus. He wasn't part of that, he did not agree with it. I think neither did Nicodemus. In fact, what you have is is Joseph of Arimathea, one of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus, one of the Sanhedrin, boldly stepping out. In fact, you know, it's kind of ironic that here are his Jesus disciples in hiding for their lives and two members of the highest governing body among the Jews, coming out and saying, we've got to give him a proper burial. And yet his own disciples were nowhere to be found. So this man, Joseph, was a rich man, and he wanted to make sure that Jesus got a proper burial. Oftentimes when a when a criminal would die on the cross, they, they and, and I don't think I finished what I was saying a moment ago, how the Jews tried to hasten this along. They came to Pilate and said to Pilate, would you please break the legs, have the soldiers break the legs of the men so they could not lift themselves up to get a breath there on the cross so they would die by suffocation much more quickly so we can get on with our Sabbath? How uncaring. And so anyways, that's what's going on. And, but often what would happen is that even the Romans, they would actually do this. They would take the body and there was just outside the city, there was a, a, an area called Gehenna that was a place of burning and trash. Sometimes they would just throw the bodies there. Sometimes they'd throw them in a common grave. Sometimes they'd throw them in a grave, but they wouldn't roll a stone at it. And, and, and so that, that animals would get to them and devour them. The Romans didn't care and some of the Jews didn't really care and and, and that but it was very important that to respectable Jews that That they would have a proper burial, but the family was not involved. In fact, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there at the tomb. And there's some other speculation about other possible family members that that are there of Jesus. But, But at this point in time, his brothers did not believe him. They themselves were skeptics. And so they would not take care of the burial. They were from Galilee. They were down in Jerusalem, a long way from home. None of them had, no doubt, a bunch of money and able to buy a tomb at such an hour. And so the family could not take care of them. The Jewish leaders didn't... See fit to try to take care of Jesus' body. But by the providence of God, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who owned a new tomb, just been built. I know that's not like real exciting to all of us, but I mean, to own a tomb, that's a lot of money. One right outside of Jerusalem, that was very expensive. One that was close to where he was crucified, that, my friend, is the providential hand of God. And so Isaiah 53 and verse number nine says that Jesus would make his grave with the wicked. He died between two thieves. But it goes on to say this, that he would make his, and with the rich in his death. In other words, there would be a prophecy fulfilled here that Joseph, a rich man, would take care of the body. He was buried with the rich in his death. God continues fulfilling his word. This is, a, this is a turning point, I believe it is, in the life of, of Joseph of Arimathea and, and Nicodemus as well. He goes to beg the body of Jesus. I'll move along here to help us get to the main point of the message, I want you to get this, but he went earnestly to, to beg the body of Jesus. That word beg there means to plead for with urgency. In other words, he also knew that the, that the day, as the day closed to an end, that the new day would be beginning, and thus he must hasten to get the body prepared. And they wanted to do what they could to honor this man, Jesus. May, I, I, you know, we don't know all that Jesus did in his interaction with people, but evidently Jesus privately met with this man Joseph as he did with the man Nicodemus, and he had become Jesus' follower, Jesus' disciple. And so he he takes the body and he wraps it in a clean linen cloth never having been used and and, and did what he could Nicodemus John tells us brought a great amount uh, to the to the burial of Jesus they did not embalm bodies as the Egyptians did but they would wrap the body in these grave clothes and they would put spices in them to overcome some of the stench of the body and such and so they did what they could with the time that they had but I'll, I'll tell you one thing hang on before we move on I'll tell you one major very important basic thing that this proves and that's simply this he died Jesus of Nazareth literally died on the cross you say why why is that important oh my friend if he didn't really die he didn't really rise again let me ask you this Did everybody at this scene believe that he was dead? Did Pilate believe he was dead? Did the Roman soldiers who were trained in execution believe that he was dead? Did the Jewish leaders believe that he was dead? Did the women believe that he was dead? Did the men believe that he was dead? All right. Did everybody believe he was dead? Yes. Except some so-called theologians who say, well, he didn't really die, he just kind of passed out on the cross, and then we got in that coldness of the tomb, he woke up. He was dead, just like the Bible says, he was dead. In fact, Islam or Muslims don't believe that he died on the cross. But this shows that he did, the historic Jesus. There is historical evidence that Jesus of Nazareth, even outside of the Bible, there is documentation that Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross. You see, listen, friend, the reason I'm making a big point about that is because it was not an imposter that died in his place. It was not someone that looked like Jesus. It was not a phantom. No, it was Jesus dying for your sin. It had to be that way. And then, thus, he was buried. And then the chief priest, we come now to verses 62 through 66, where they're greatly concerned about the possibility that his disciples would come and somehow steal the body. They referred to Jesus as that deceiver. Hey, you might call him a deceiver, but that didn't change the fact that he's the truth. He's the truth. In fact, he himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man coming to the Father but by me. It's interesting to me that the chief priests and the Pharisees remembered his words better than his disciples did. You see, Jesus had told them, at least on three occasions, really four, that he was gonna be betrayed, that he was gonna be beaten, that he was gonna be crucified, and that he was gonna rise again. And they dismiss it. Peter missed it. John missed it. James missed it. All the disciples missed it. But the Pharisees said, he said he'd rise again. He said, destroy this temple and I'll build it again in three days. He said that. Now John tells us in John chapter 2 that his disciples remembered that after his resurrection. Just like the lot of us. That we know what God has said, but we don't think about it in the moment when we need it the most. Is that right? So here are the Pharisees. They would heard about what Jesus had said. They themselves had heard him say these things in their very presence. I, I might remind you of Matthew chapter 12. And when the Pharisees came before Jesus, everybody listen to this. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, show us a sign that you are the Messiah. Show us a sign. Like he hadn't already. The blind see, can't you see? The deaf here, haven't you heard? Come on! (laughs) But they said, show us a sign and we'll believe. And he said, no sign will be given except the sign of Jonah the prophet who was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, in the, in the well's belly. So rather, so, so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth, meaning that he would be in the grave for three days and three nights. But he's saying to those he's saying to those Pharisees, listen, if I don't rise again, then don't worry about anything that I said. But if I rise again from the dead, everything I said has been validated, including the fact that he is indeed the Messiah. You see how pivotal this is? So they said, he said that he would rise again in three days and we need to make sure that they don't come and try to make it look like he really did. I submit to you this morning that the Pharisees did not believe that he would rise again. His own disciples did not believe that he would rise again. The women who came to the tomb did not believe that he would rise again. They came to prepare his body further for its future. Final interment. Joseph of Arimathea did not believe that he would rise again. He prepared his body for the burial. If you believe he's going to rise again, you really wouldn't worry about it. But listen, friend, they did not believe. Neither did Pilate. Neither did the chief priests. But the chief priests and the Pharisees said, oh, we got to do something to make sure it doesn't look like he is who he said he was. <laughs> so. There they went to Pilate again and said, Pilate, we want you to prepare a, a, a guard to make sure that, that nobody gets in there and steals the body. And we want you to, to uh, make it secure. You see, they would take this stone and Angie and I and others that are here, we got to be there in Gordon's, uh, what's called Gordon's uh, tomb, the garden tomb and, and that stone that is rolled into place there and, and, they, and they wanted a seal to be put across it. Basically to say this, if anybody tampers with this seal, then the fury of Rome will be upon them. Guards, uh, a pilot says that you have a watch. I don't think that he was granting them permission to have their own temple guards. They didn't really need to go to Pilate for that. They needed Roman guards. So these Roman, this Roman detachment of soldiers, maybe 12 to 16 soldiers would have been there. They're watching over the tomb. I mean, i just wonder, how hard is it to keep a dead person in the grave? <laughs> 16 soldiers, elite fighting warriors against fishermen tax collectors i mean those tax collectors knew how to steal but not bodies (laughs) a few zealots mixed in but really guys that didn't know how to fight certainly didn't know how to do anything by stealth at night to take out a few roman soldiers i mean peter had already proved how bad he was with a sword what's he gonna do cut off more ears I'm just simply trying to establish that Pilate gave them authority. The authority of Rome, the authority that they carried as the priests and the leaders of Jerusalem and Israel. They had the authority to make it as sure as they could at least for three days. All we got to do is just last three days because if they steal his body on day four, doesn't really matter because Jesus said three days. Let's just make it sure for three days. Now, I think you've, made, you've seen the point that these men could not have stolen that body. Okay, let, let's, let's, say, let, let's say hypothetically that they did. Where are they gonna hide it? How are they gonna get it out of there? Why'd they fold the cl- grave clothes? if you're still in a body, you don't take time to fold laundry. (laughs) But we're going to see next week that when they came to that tomb and the tomb was empty, that the grave clothes were neatly folded. So there was, they, they really set it up in such a way that it would be ludicrous to think that his disciples had stolen the body. Contradicts common sense. To think that these men could have done that. But if they did, where it, all, all Rome had to do, or the Jews had to do, as, as Peter was preaching openly on the day of Pentecost, that this same Jesus that you crucified is risen again, all they had to do was just prove a body and the hoax would have been over. I mean, would these disciples, I realize I'm preaching to the choir in many ways, but there may be somebody here that that may be a skeptical and you think there's not really much to all this. And you don't think that Jesus really died on the cross or he didn't really rise again. And and you're just kind of thinking this is just a figment of people's imaginations. This is just something man has invented to try to control the people and all those other things. And you're just kind of, here's what you're doing. You're suppressing the truth. And that's essentially what they're trying to do. They're trying to squelch or suppress the truth. And so they say, let's set a guard. There's one thing they didn't think about. There's one minor detail because I I think they really, I think they had it this way, brother Ted. I think they had on their minds, man, you know, if I could just use common vernacular here today, I'm not, are are you following what I'm saying? I I, I think they, they could have said something like this. You know, we've already had three hours of darkness from noon to three. That's kind of against our cause. We've already had a major earthquake that took place. Somebody tore the veil. The pressure was on to make sure that now the disciples didn't come with in light of all this evidence that has been presented, we better make sure that somebody doesn't start a rumor that he actually rose again from the dead because if they make it look like he actually rose again from the dead, then they'll believe that he was the Messiah. And they'll give their lives to him and they'll follow him and they'll be loyal to him. Oh, my friends, they were trying to do everything they could to stop it. In fact, the one detail that they did not consider was the actual fact of an actual resurrection taking place. Because he was gone that Sunday morning and the seal hadn't been tampered with by the disciples. The stone was rolled away not to let him out the stone was rolled away to let the ladies and Peter and John and others see he's not in there. That's right. That's right. The guards were terrified out of their ever-loving mind and they ran back to the priest and they said, ah! he's gone. And these angelic beings appeared. They were shaking with fear. And, and, the, and the Pharisees and Sadducees, listen, Say his disciples stole the body while you were sleeping. <laughs> they paid them off. They paid them. Are you, are you, are you, are you getting what they're doing? No, that, that's in Matthew. We're about to see it. They paid them to say that these common men with one sword. His disciples came and stole him away while we were sleeping. It's the lie that tells the truth. What do you mean the lie that tells the truth? Well, okay, listen to what they said. They stole the body while we were asleep. How many of you were asleep? All of us. Now that I don't doubt that men after a long day's work would go to sleep because most of us can do it just like that. But 12 to 16 men, they were supposed to be trained guards, were asleep. And in their sleep, they saw them come and take them. Wait a minute. Did you say you were asleep? That's right. So how do you know it was them? Don't have much to say right there. Nope. You see what's going on? In fact, what happened, because the Jews took the effort to make this guard up and go to these great lengths to make sure that they wouldn't come and steal him, when he actually did rise again, it's like Rome and the Jews joined powers to prove the resurrection of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Does right? get that? It's <laughs> what they did to disprove Jesus' words about rising again, and that's why they said, listen, his first claim is that he's the Messiah. If they say that he rose again, we'll be in a worse situation than we began with. So we got to make sure that, it, that, that we don't let them steal the body. But listen, the effort that they went to to disprove Jesus' words actually proves his words that he did indeed rise again. And I find a general principle at that point, that this to be true, that the efforts that men go to, to disprove that Bible, to disprove God's word, only serve eventually to prove that God was right again. You see, there's a verse, dear friend, in Romans chapter number one, that they hold the truth in unrighteousness. The word hold there does not mean that they hold it and they hold it to be dear and cherished to their hearts. No, the word, when you look it up, it means to restrain. It means literally this, this is the key word that I found. It means this, to press down, to suppress, to try to get rid of, to get out of public eye. It's kind of like what's going on in our country. Let's get God out of our country. Let's remove God from our court systems. Let's remove God from our schools. But the effort to disprove God and get God out has only Serve to prove just how much we need him to this very day. I don't mean it disrespectfully, but just as by way of illustration, you think about being there and maybe in a in, in a pool or you watch your kids with a little pool noodle, you know, those, those what uh, three-foot-long or four-foot-long pool noodles that are rather buoyant, and you try to push them down. And we, especially as a little kid, you try to push them down and minute. Pops back up. Have you ever done that? Come on, help, help me with little illustration right there. Is that, you push it down, it comes back. You push it down, it comes back up. That's exactly what's going on. Many are trying to disprove God and they suppress the truth. And here's what you can do. You can come up with all kinds of new titles for what genders there are. And you can just try to push it down and, and give 60 to 70 new titles Push it down, push it down, but it's just gonna keep coming back up. There's only two genders, male and female created he them. And you try to push that down, get government involved, get schools involved, get Disney involved. Try to push it down as you may. Make it as sure as you can but the truth will rise up and say, there is a God that created them male and female. And the very proof that the the very effort that they have made, that many have made to disprove God has actually in the long run so far has only proven that God once again is true. You take that same truth and you apply it to several areas of life. Try to prove God wrong, friend, and he'll prove himself over and over again. Man is not created in the image of God in one moment of time as God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. No, that took millions and billions of years, scientists say, for man to go from a blob to get a job. Okay, that just totally came to me. I, I don't know. Anyways, there it is. They're trying to press it down. Well, no wonder our kids act like animals in the world. If you're telling them they're animals, I'm telling you it's not working, Fred. It's not working because it's not what God said. The effort to disprove the Word of God has only proven time and time again that God is right and He cannot lie. But man tries to push down the truth when really if you'd stop pushing against it because just because you suppress the truth, it doesn't change it. There may be somebody here today that's suppressing the truth that God's been dealing with your heart about salvation. And you're trying to stamp that out. You're trying to push that out, crowd it out of your mind. You try to stay as busy as you can. You try to go to sleep fast at night. Maybe even turn to drugs and alcohol. or You turn to something else and you know you need God in your life and God's been working in your heart and you're trying to suppress that truth and suppress that truth and suppress that truth and you've put it off another Sunday and another Sunday but God just keeps working in your heart and using the Holy Spirit and being the as the Holy Spirit, using the Word of God rather to convict you of sin and of righteousness and that there is the judgment to come. And there's only one way to be right with God and that's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. If you'd stop suppressing that, he'll save anybody here who would just simply humble their hearts before him, acknowledging that there are sinners and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that if any shall call upon him, they shall be saved. Friend, that is the truth. Receive it. Don't try to suppress it. Because suppressing it doesn't change it. Receive it. I close with this. I remember when Joseph had that dream, those two dreams. Remember that? And he dreamed that his brothers bowed down to him. Remember that? The sun and the moon and the stars, they bow down to him, or the sheaves of wheat bow down to his sheaf. Well, his older brothers didn't like that. Here he is in his coat of many colors that his daddy gave him, our daddy gave him. And then they saw him coming one day. Hey, sth, look, the dreamer. <laughs> That's what they said. The dreamer comes. Let's get rid of him. Let's kill him and we'll get rid of his dream. Well, Reuben stepped in and kept that from happening. They sold him and he went to Egypt. But you know what happened in the end? Those hungry brothers came. huh? They'd been trying to suppress that revelation of God. Okay, now we don't have dreams that God reveals stuff to us just so in case you're wondering, you got the word. But they tried to press that down. But here's what happened. They bowed before the one. (laughs) Someday, even those Pharisees and chief priests, as they stand before the great white throne, since they did not accept Him as their Messiah, as their Savior, they will bow in His presence. Today, you have the opportunity to bow in His presence to receive the gift of salvation rather than remain under His condemnation and judgment. So I urge you this morning, don't suppress that truth. Embrace it. Let's stand together here this morning. Thank you for your kind attention. The Word of God is true, friend. It will not bend for any society. It will not bow before any intellect. We, are, have, we have here in our very hands the wisdom of the ancient of days, God Almighty. And He meant it for our good. It'd be best to trust Him today. With every head bowed now and closed, how many of you would say I've trusted Him as my Savior? Maybe recently or maybe many years ago I have. Would you raise your hand? Praise the Lord for that. Is there anyone here today, though, that would say, Preacher, I don't know that for sure. If I died, I'm concerned. I mean, you're preaching that that Jesus is the only way to salvation. I've never been saved. I'm concerned about this. Having heard this, I know I'm a sinner. I I know there's nothing I can do to save myself. I'm concerned about about where I'm going to spend eternity. If I die today, I don't don't know 100% for sure that i die and go to heaven. Is there anybody like that? Would you raise your hand while I... Take a moment to look over the auditorium. Just a a private moment. I'm not trying to make anybody feel weird or uncomfortable, except just acknowledging the conviction that God is putting on your heart right now. Anybody like that while you wait just a moment? While I wait just a moment? Yes, thank you. I see your hand. Who else today? Just raise your hand. Nobody's going to come to you or we're not going to point you out. I'm just trying to acknowledge and and let you think about where you stand before God at this hour. We're going to have a verse of invitation. We're singing page 254 the Savior is waiting, if God, you just raise your hand and I encourage you and maybe others that I overlooked, not intentionally, but I overlooked, I encourage you just to step out, ask somebody to come with you. And there are men and ladies that have a Bible and they'll show you how to place your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work so that you might be saved. Believers, I urge you today as well. I I trust that you can see the application of this. We don't need to suppress the truth. We need to live in light of it. And if you've been suppressing God speaking to your heart about a particular matter, then I urge you as well, don't suppress the truth because suppressing it does not change it. Come and humble yourselves before him. Father, please help those and help all of us. Lord, as we consider the truth of who you are and what you came to do, help those that need salvation, help all believers today to be humble. In Jesus' name, amen.